You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, part five of a 127 installment series begins this morning. We've been looking for the last while at the book of Job, and the reason I'm doing part five is because it's a book that would justify 50 parts if we had the opportunity. There is so much truth in it. There is so much revelation of God in it. There is so much that we can apply to our lives recorded in this book of Job. For those of you who haven't been here for the previous four boring installments, I just want to let you know just the story, if you will, so far. Job is being tested. His faith is being tested. It's a brutal test because it's a test in which he loses everything he owns. He loses all of his children. He loses his health. He loses everything that was of value in that culture and probably everything that would be of value in this culture. He loses everything. The challenge is, would Job lose his faith and would he lose his character? And the point at the start of the story was that this was a test to see if Job would curse God, would turn on God as a result of the events that broke out in his life. We looked at that over, over four weeks and the various people who came to help him and so on and so forth. He fell under a desperate testing. His friends came to support him. His wife told him to curse God and die. His friends came to help him and actually only hurt him in the process. Um, and in the end, God spoke up and he spoke to Job. And he challenged all of Job's assumptions about God. You know, sometimes we can have heads full of assumptions about God. We can have heads full of assumptions about the way that the world works. God challenged all of those assumptions in God's life and he simply asked him a number of questions. Job had loads of questions and God said, well, no, let me ask you some questions, Job. And as I quoted T.S. Eliot uh, last week, I think it was, when I said, T.S. Eliot wrote, oh, my soul, prepare for him who knows how to really ask questions. And Job's asked these questions by God. God says to him, were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there when I laid out the stars? Were you there when the angels sang at the beginning of all things? Were you there, Job? You tell me you know it all, Job, but you don't know anything, Job. You really don't know anything. And we're going to get to the final chapter, the last chapter of the book of Job, Job 42. And we've gotten to this point as a result of Job's test, his conversation about what was going on in his life, his understanding about what was happening in his life the responses of his friends to his situation, and we looked at it all. But today we're looking finally at, if you will, Job's restoration. Oh, please do work for me, won't you? Was it something I said? Was it that technology decided to abandon me at the last minute? It appears as though it has. Has it abandoned me? Can I just test this? Just chat away amongst yourselves. I'm going to test this. Just give me a second. There we go. That'll help. Now, that brief pause was helpfully brought to you by somebody who unplugged the remote control. Thank you very much. Let's see. Restoring Job. Are you going to work for me now? Oh, I better just switch this on. Switch that on. Switch this on. Yes. Hey, it works at last. Restoring Job. Job chapter 42. 
And we're going to look just at a few verses in it. I can't look at all of the chapter. But it is effectively the epilogue of Job's life. The epilogue of all the things that had happened to him throughout his life and throughout this test. It's just an incredible read, the entire book of Job. What I would recommend to you is that if I haven't bored you too much with the previous sessions, go and read the book of Job for yourself. Read it aloud. Read it slowly. Soak it in. Take it in. Because there's so much reality and truth that you're not going to get in the pop culture of our day. Restoring Job, Job 42. And finally, we get to the stage where God speaks up. God has spoken up and said to Job, what do you understand about life? And then it says this. It says, finally, Job replied to the Lord. Let's pay attention to what Job's reply was. If you're watching in Cafe Church, you can throw up the slides for the next two slides because we're just going to be looking briefly at Job's final response. These are the last words of Job in the book of Job. Job said to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, said Job. I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things too wonderful for me. You said, listen and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before, but I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. I take back everything I said, he said. He said, I realize now that you can do whatever you want. I realize now that you are not stuck to the rules. You're not stuck to the superstitions of my culture. But that you do whatever you please to bring about your ends. There's an old English word, the word sovereign. It means that you rule everything. Your rule is everywhere. What you decide will happen, will happen. And so Job looks to God and he says, I know before that I'd heard you with my ears. And we can quite often go through our lives based on theories and philosophies and ideas. And we can have these things that we hear with our ears. But until we encounter and experience God, we will never truly understand what's going on in our lives. You see, I could read books all day and all night. I could study until my eyes grow weary. I could listen to the philosophies of everyone about God, but until I experience the grace and mercy and goodness of God in my own life, it's all just a theory. And for many people that you meet, they have a lot of theories about God. I mean, you know them, I know them, we've all met them, little pocket philosophers who have a theory about everything, but really know nothing. We can be a bit like that sometimes too. But you need to be the bringers of the experience of God. And that is your story. And this is what's happening to Job. I've heard you before. I, I heard all about you. But now I've seen you with my own eyes, with my own experience. It has happened in my life and I realize this reality. And Job looks up. He looks at his life and says, you know what? God is still the boss. God is still in control. The prophet Isaiah writing about Jesus coming said, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. The expansion of Jesus' rule will never end. 
And the language he's using there is military language. Because back in those days, there was no elections. You didn't vote for a fella. You didn't support a party. It was whoever had the most swords and horses and chariots. They were the boss. So when Isaiah says of the increase of his government, there will be no end. He's using warring language. God is at war to expand the kingdom. And here's a good piece of advice that effectively is between the lines in Isaiah. His, his government will increase. He will rule. He will take over. Better to surrender than to be conquered. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you, it is better to surrender to God's plans and God's purpose for your life because ultimately his plans and purposes will come to pass. Would anyone say amen? amen. Writing a little bit later in the New Testament, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, wrote Peter. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you want to make enemies, just be proud. That's how you make enemies. Just fill yourself up with pride and you'll get enemies. No problem. They will be drawn to you like a magnet if you go around pompously and proudly. And Paul, or Peter is writing here to early Christian churches and he's writing to Christians like you and me and he's saying, lads, don't be too proud. Because as you all know, we've all been stripped of our pride, haven't we? Brothers especially. Would any of the men say amen? Oh, the pride is just gone. I have no pride left in me. Yes, you do. But I know this, the prouder I am, the more God opposes me. The prouder I am, the more I put myself as an enemy of God. You make yourself an enemy of other people by being proud, and you make yourself an enemy of God by being proud. But this is what he goes on to say. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and wait for it, at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. At the right time, he will lift you up in honor. If you humble yourself before God genuinely, not the Machiah stuff, as we say in Cork. Machiah means false if you're not from Cork. Machiah, like, it's a bit like a Nokia with an M, a Machiah. But if you humble yourself genuinely, and that means tearing not just your clothes like the Jews used to do, but tearing their hearts as well. They would literally inwardly tear themselves and they say, Lord, I humble myself before you. I accept your plan and your purpose for my life. I remember being at a meeting back in 1992. I wasn't married long. It was early 1992. And this guy went home and he preached the message. I went to church and this guy preached the message. And as I sat there, I just listened to every word the guy said and every word just went through to my heart. And I, got, I went home, we didn't have a car in those days, went home, got the bus home, Elma, my wife, was working at the time, I got home on my own, I went into my bedroom, I threw myself down on my face, I said, Lord, I would rather be conquered by you than conquered by my sin. I lay myself down before you, I ask you your very best to come to pass in my life. And do you know something? I've had a lot of rough days since then, but God's very best will come to pass in my life. It'll come to pass in your life too, but it'll begin by humbling ourselves under God's mighty power. And that's what Job did. He humbled himself before God. He said, I know you can do anything. You know, sometimes you hear of people, they're shaking their fists in rage at God. Who? Who are you? Says Paul to the Roman church. Who are you to speak to your maker and say, what are you doing in my life? Even though that feels normal. He says, but God opposes the problem. And I love it, it says, and that... The right time. 
Do you know, there was a year, years ago, it's gone now because everybody has phones, and, but somebody would meet you on the street or you'd meet someone and say, excuse me, would you have the right time? Does anybody remember saying that? That's something that's really, I'm sure, aged and infirm now here, aren't I? You'd say to them, sorry, would you have the right time? And you'd look at your watch and you go, well, let me give you the false time. I mean, like when you ask somebody for the time, you're not expecting them to give you, let me give you the time in Dar es Salaam. You know, you're not going to get that. Or you want New York time, I'll give you New York time. Like you ask for the time, you want the right time where you are. Isn't that right? It's a simple assumption. You look at your phone in the morning, you go, oh, it's 10.46 in Amsterdam. That's useful. You know, you want the time for you. And this is what he's saying, at the right time. The right time, not our time, but the right time. The time of my making, no, at the time of God's making, he will raise you up. Humble yourself under God and let God's timing come to pass in your life. Job, let's go back to Job 42. It continues on and I'm, I'm leaving out chunks of it because I'm trying to get to the, to the main part of the narrative. But God says of Job's friends, he says, I don't, loosely translated, I don't like the cut of these lads. I don't like what they said about me, and I don't like their attitude. What they need to do is they need to repent, and they turn and they repent of their behavior. Now, repent means to change your mind and go the other way. It means to change your actions and go the other way. So, as we've often used the illustration, you are going to Dublin, but you repent of that bad decision, and you go back to Cork. That's what you do. Because you know that going to Dublin is destructive. It is the place of death. But you know that Cork is a place of life. Amen. That's what repent means. And God says, you need to repent, lads. And he says, I want you to bring a bunch of bulls and goats and this kind of stuff and take them to Job. And Job will sacrifice them and he will pray for you. And this is the real, this is when it all kind of goes, oh, let me, yeah, I make that point in the next service. And this is one of the real points. It says this. It says, when Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. I didn't make that up. That's what it says in the original Hebrew. So there's a process visible here. Restoration will not be possible without reconciliation. It's that simple. Jesus says, if you are going to lay your offering at the altar and you remember that your friend has something against you, not you have something against your friend, but you remember your friend has something against you. He says, just leave the offering where it is and go and be reconciled with your friend. Get it sorted out first, then come back and bring the offering. It was the reconciliation with the friends that came before the restoration of his fortunes. And this is just a, a shadow that comes right across this chapter 42 or this epilogue of Job's life. It was when he reconciled, when he offered up the sacrifice, when he prayed, and then God began to move in his life. Sometimes there can be blockages in our life because we've made enemies of people. Or we haven't reconciled with our wives or our husbands. Hmm. We don't like talking about that, if that's okay. Michael, move on to something a little more philosophical. <laughs> Paul says, brothers, don't be fighting with your wives. Amen. Because if you're fighting with your wives, the Lord won't hear your prayers. Hello? We don't like that no too much at all. Lord, if you were married to her, you'd know what it was like. <laughs> it was the woman you gave me, Lord. That's who did it. Oh, you saw how she burned my dinner. How could this happen to me? 
He says, reconcile and don't be fighting with your wives, otherwise your prayers won't be answered. You want your prayers to be answered? I know we don't all have wives. But the principle is there. Reconcile your relationships and then God's blessing comes into your lives. I'm sorry, it's that simple. No, like I said on Tuesday night last, live at peace with everyone in so much as it is within your power. Some of our wives don't want to reconcile with us, do they? They want to be angry with us for a few days first. Hey, honey, what's the matter? Nothing. Which means absolutely everything. So do you want to talk about it? There's nothing to talk about. You know the routine? No, you don't. I wouldn't know that at all. Siobhan Lane, you're such a blessed woman. It was when he reconciled that he was restored. It was when he reconciled that he was restored. Jesus, uh, Paul writes to the Romans, he says, if you're, pray for those, Paul writes it to the Romans, Jesus says, he says, pray for those who curse you. That's so easy, isn't it? And people hate you to say, Lord, bless them. It's like, just wrap your arms around them, give them a big, gaudy hug, will you? No, you want to say, strike down upon them! You want to make a YouTube video for your neighbors, don't you? I am telling my neighbors that if you mess with me, we will strike down upon you with furious vengeance. <laughs> Put up on YouTube, see what happens. Be restored. That's how it's for. When he, when he reconciled, he was restored. When he reconciled, he was restored. If you want the Lord to hear your prayers, husbands, don't be arguing with your wives. Wives, if you want your prayers to be heard, don't be arguing. Well, you know the rest. And then it goes on to say this, that Job, God restored Job's fortunes. In fact, it says that God gave him twice as much as he had before. He was the richest man in his area. Then all his brothers and sisters and former friends came and feasted with him in his home. I like it when, all, when, when he gets the fortune back, all the friends and the brothers and sisters show up, but that's another matter. And they consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him. And it goes on to say this, and so the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life, even more than in the beginning. For now he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 teams of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. He gave him all this stuff back. He gives him all this stuff back after he passes the test. And when does he pass the test? Back at the first verse we looked at when he said, Lord, you can do whatever you like. I heard you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes and I repent in dust and ashes of what I said. And the Lord said, you have passed the test. And so everything was restored to him. Everything was restored to him. And because it takes 15 seconds to read these verses, we can begin to think, what was it? That, and how did all this happen? Look at what was restored to him. His wealth, his health, his relationships with his wife, his brothers and sisters, his friends were restored for him, and his children were restored to him. Now here's the thing about the children. When we talk about children, this is not like, and Job was really emotional about all this. When you look at the context of this story, when you look at the context of culture in the Middle East of that time, and even now, you see this, the children being restored meant that Job's future was restored. He had a future now. Remember what Abraham said to the Lord? Lord, what good is all this blessing to me if my servant in my household is going to inherit my stuff because I have no children? 
Having children was so important in that culture. It meant your future. It meant that God had blessed you. But what's curious to look at, me, when I look at it, there's something missing in all of this when we read it. And what's, what's missing when we read it? This is what's missing. Time is what's missing. You see, you can look at Job's life and say that Job's fortunes were restored like that. It all happened in an instant. In a moment of time, bang, kazow! And all of these flocks and herds and children and wealth and everything were all restored to him. There was just this moment, Job woke up and it was like they the all lived happily ever after. He wakes up from this awful dream and everything is back to him. But that's not how it worked. That's not how Job's restoration worked. And that's very often not how the restoration goes on in our lives. What's, what's, what's missing here is time. It takes 15 seconds to read the passage, but at least 15 years for these events to come to pass. Where do you think the children came from? Packets of instant just add water for children? Yeah. Now you want them to go the other way back into the packet, right? Yeah. yeah. It wasn't insta kids. Just, you know, I just kind of, we, we just woke up and suddenly, like, there was like seven more boys and three more girls. Suddenly, like, out of nowhere. No, God bless poor Job's wife, with whom he was obviously reconciled, because there's no mention of another wife, has to go through the whole period of time again. No, ten children, unless, unless she had, was it two sets of quintuplets? Is that five kids, isn't it? Quintuplets, isn't it? Unless she had two sets of quintuplets, which would take about a year and a half or so thereabouts. Sure, having babies is easy, isn't it, lads? Sure, it's very easy. See the time that's missing here? Do you see what's missing in the story that when we read it, we kind of go, oh, sure, everything was grand in the end? No, it takes time. It takes time. And sometimes we can become frustrated with the pace of change in our lives. We can go, oh Lord, how long is this going to take in my life? How long are these events going to happen in my life? How long is it going to be before I overcome this issue or see this issue sorted out or see this matter restored or fixed in my life? It may take years. And that is why the Bible so often talks about words like patience. Everyone's favorite word. Isn't that right? We love patience. Because there was a time when people were actually patient. They waited for things. They stood in queues. But now, if we are like on the internet trying to buy something, it's like the stupid internet has gone slow. Hello? Because it won't load up instantaneously. Fiber powered. Bang! A million gazillion megabytes coming in your window into your internet. Everything is instant now. Instant coffee. Jazeera will make you sexy. Have you ever seen the coffee ads? I mean, once upon a time it was a cup of coffee. Now it's like, oh, monsieur, this coffee, it is absolutely perfect. Have you ever noticed that? Like, when, since when did coffee become, well, you know, sexy? When, what happened there? But it's instant. You can have it now. It will happen. Like, I saw, the, you know, you see, you know these kind of, you see sometimes them, um, these uh, before and after photographs. In just three weeks, Michael went from to... You know, these kind of, like, because he went to our gym and he did our series of stuff. And it also happens that if you stand like this, you look more muscular than you do if you stand like this. You know what I'm saying? We want everything instant, but this change was slow. This change in your life, brothers and sisters, could be slow. There are times, and we look at it on Tuesday night, when God instantly moves, transforms, instantly changes things. But there's something else going on in our life. Very often, the bad things that happen in our life happen quick. 
There's sudden things, they're painful things. Job's events all happened to him in one afternoon. Bang, 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 bang. Everything was wiped out. He lost his health a couple of weeks later. Everything was instant. But so often the recovery takes long. If I jump off the stage, oh, this is testing, F-A-T-E, fate. I jump off the stage and I go over my ankle and I break my leg. It happens in a millisecond. But it will take six, eight, nine months to repair. It happened, the pain happens in an instant. And that's why we're kind of so pain averse. We don't like pain because it's intense. And we kind of never forget it, do we? It takes years to restore his life. The time factor is what's missing. And I love it, it says the Lord blessed the second part of Job's life more than he blessed the first half. Is there anybody here who would like to say amen to that? Because when you hit a certain age, you go, I actually have probably more yesterdays than I do tomorrows. So I'm praying and hoping that the second half of my life will be more blessed than the first half of my life. Is there anybody here over 40? Okay. I'm not suggesting how long you're going to live for, okay? I wouldn't dream, dare do that. But I pray for you that the second half of your life will be more blessed than the first half. Would anyone say amen? That it'll be more fruitful, that it will bear more fruit, that there will be more life in the second half of your life than there was in the first half. And you look at Job's life, which I don't have time to go into. You see how long he lived and he saw his children to the fourth generation, his great, great, great grandchildren he saw, which was such a blessing, such a blessing of God. The writer, the Christian preacher, C.H. Spurgeon, wrote this about this passage. He says, what the Lord did for Job, he will do for us. Not precisely in the same form, but in the same spirit and with like design. In other words, for the same purpose, he will do it. He'll do it for the same purpose. He wants to bring his best out in our lives. And the way he restored Job, he will restore you. And you may not be fully restored to the level that you want to be restored now, but that's why the Bible talks about life beyond this life. It may be in heaven. Are we okay with that? It may be when we meet the Lord face to face. Or it may be no. But God will do for you, will do for me, what he has done for Job. Here writes James. James is always a tough guy. He writes tough statements. And this is what he said. He said, we give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. And you can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. The Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. And we see how he said that he's, we see what happened in Job's life. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. Nobody gets a medal for climbing Patrick's Hill. If you come in and say, Mom, I, I climbed Patrick's Hill. Honey, I climbed Patrick's Hill today. She doesn't go, oh, quickly, let me get a medal from the cupboard for you. Or if you say, I climbed Mount Everest last week, you kind of go, well, that's pretty impressive. Because you have to endure. We don't like words like endure, should we don't? We must prefer words like Comfort. That's a nice word, a comfort. Oh, I like a bit of comfort. Nobody says, oh, I love a bit of endurance, a bit of perseverance, a bit of patient endurance. John, I've said it before, I don't mind saying it again. John writes to the early Christian church and he writes to them and he talks about the patient endurance that is ours in Christ Jesus. Thank you, John. I'm not reading your book anymore. <laughs> endurance, we saw how he endured. He put up with it. He suffered it and he got on with it. 
He moaned about it. That's okay. But he got on with it. And in the end, his faith was maintained. And what did he endure? He endured it without any of the things that we have. Job's book, the book of Job, is so old, it was written before the Old Testament law. No Old Testament law. No creed, hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. There was no creed. There was no priesthood. There was no Pastor Tom to ring. Pastor Tom, can you help me? There was no Pastor Tom in Job's life. Do you hear me? There was no elders, no priests. None of these things were around. He had no prophets, no words of the prophets. There was no writings of the psalmist, no scriptures, no God-inspired community, no faith community, no church for him to be part of. And yet he endured it all. Lads, we're so blessed. We really are so blessed. We have so many supports. God has come in. We're here to build one another up. He gives us his word to build us up. He gives us his Holy Spirit to build us up. We're so blessed. And we can see that he goes on and he does it with endurance. Now endurance is one of those things that the minute I talk about you begin to, to lose the will to live. I'm sorry about that. You need endurance to resist that too. Endurance, or if, if you will, perseverance is simply get up again ability is the word for it. Get up again ability. So if you can get up again and get up again and get up again and get up again when you're knocked down, then you're going to develop perseverance. It's get up again ability. There's somebody said perseverance or endurance is the hard work you do after the hard work you've already done. Thank you very much. But he endured and he, he, he kept following and he kept his faith in God and he kept fighting and he kept believing in God despite all of these things going on in his life. Spurgeon said that God would do the same thing in our lives as he had done for Job because every life is unique and everybody knows their own story. Charles Swindle is a very famous Christian preacher and writer. And he said, talking about this passage about Job, he said, faith is believing in advance what can only be understood in reverse. It's believing in advance what we can only understand when we look over our shoulder and look at our lives. How many people here would say they have experienced the faithfulness of God in their past. See, that's the vast, 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 vast majority of us who said, yeah, we've experienced the faithfulness of God in our lives. I want us to pray as we do this morning that God would give us faith to keep on going. I want to pray, if you will, for a couple of things. I want to pray that we would be willing to wait for God's right time to lift us up in honor. Do you want to pray for God's timing in your life? I want to pray for God's perfect timing in my life. I want to pray for that. And I want to pray for one other thing. Uh, well, maybe, maybe two. I want to pray that we would go from theory to experience. As Job went through, he went from hearing about God to experiencing God. I want us to pray this morning that we would go from just having theory and philosophy about God to actually experiencing his real presence and his real power at work in our lives. Maybe you're here this morning and this, this talk of the Bible and this talk of God and of Jesus is kind of new to you and you're kind of going, what, what, what is this? Does God have a plan? I want to ask you this morning, would you be willing to pray to say, Lord, take my theory and turn it into experience. Show up in my life in a real way. We're going to pray that. Is that okay? I'm going to invite the band up. Will the guys come up and play? We're going to sing the song, The Joy of the Lord is My Strength. And then we're going to pray. Can I invite you to stand? Sorry, Ben. I invite you to stand.
God's timing is perfect. It is absolutely perfect. And I want to pray this morning for those of you who are waiting on God, that you would have the patience and be able to wait for God's perfect timing in your life. Because that takes patience. Because when we rush in and do things ourselves, we so often make a mess of it. Let's close our eyes just for a second. Can I invite you to close your eyes just for a second? If you're here this morning and you want to say, Lord, let me, give me the ability to wait for your perfect timing in my life. Would you raise your hand? We're going to pray for that. We're going to pray for that perfect timing for your life. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, Lord, Lord, I've heard you with my ears. I know the theory. I know the philosophy. I even know what the Bible says. But Lord, I want to experience you. I want to encounter you personally. I want to meet with you personally and know the reality of you in my everyday life. If you want to say, Lord, take me from just hearing to seeing and experiencing. Would you raise your hand? I see your hands. We're going to sing a verse of the song. And as we sing this verse of the song, I'm going to invite you to come to the front. We're just going to pray together briefly before we close. So if you've raised your hand to either of those, I'm going to invite you to the front. We're going to pray briefly as the guys leave. When I cannot see you with my eyes, let faith arise to you. When I cannot feel your hand in mine, let faith arise to you. God of mercy and love, I will praise you, Lord. Oh, you shine. Oh, you shine with glory, Lord of life, I feel alive with you. In your presence now I come alive, I am alive with you. There is strength when I say, I will praise you, Lord. The joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Yes, the joy. Let's pray. If you're here and you want to pray about God's timing, will you just raise your hands to heaven and bring that situation in your life before God? Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you that standing before you now, Lord, are your humble servants, Lord. We come before you this morning, Lord, and we ask for your perfect timing to come to pass in our lives, Lord. We bring those situations, Lord, which can vex us and frustrate us and for which we become impatient, Lord. We humble ourselves before you this morning, Lord. We ask for your very best, Lord. And Lord, we know that at the right time you will lift us up, Lord, but we need to have patience and trust to know that you are at work and that you will bring that timing situation about in your perfect time. Lord Jesus, I pray, work by your Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives. Work patience and endurance and strength in our lives, we pray, in Jesus' name. Lord, I want to pray for all of those this morning who want to go from just theory 
who want to go from just philosophy, who want to go from just something that they've heard to something that they experience in their lives, Lord. The real, genuine, living presence of God in their everyday lives. Felt and experienced as Christians have experienced it for 2,000 years, Lord. We pray for that this morning, Father in heaven. I pray, Lord, that for many who are here this morning, Lord, we would move from the theory to the practice of being believers in you, Lord. I pray, Lord, we would move from just hearing about you, Lord, to seeing you and experiencing you in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, Lord Jesus, in our marriages and in our relationships. Lord, I pray that we would see our prayers being answered, Lord. I pray that we would see our fortunes being restored like Job's were, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, for those who have lost this morning, Lord. Lord, that they would believe in you, the God of restoration, Lord. That you restore our lives to your plan and to your purposes. Lord, we commit our lives into your hands. Can I invite us all to pray? Let's raise our hands to heaven as we pray this morning. We're just going to close in prayer. When we've closed in prayer, the guys are going to finish the song. We're serving tea and coffee upstairs in the atrium. Keep an eye on our screens for what's coming up in the next week. But let's pray. Father in heaven, we commit our lives into your hands, Lord Jesus. Lord, they they are, as it were, already in your hands. And so we commit, Lord, our will, our hearts, our minds, and our souls into your hands, Lord Jesus. We ask you, Father in heaven, that you would meet with us in every corner, in every cavern, in every cleft in our life this week, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that we would be a people who can talk about Jesus in the way that we know him, Lord. That we can talk about the love and the tenderness and the kindness of God to those around us, Lord, in a way that we know about you, Lord. Let us all be transformed by experiencing your presence, your spirit, and your power. And Lord, we pray now. Beg and gross the tyranny of Christ. August and grow day. August come and spread nave. Be lingalair. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the incredible love of God, and the intimate friendship and fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. The guys are going to finish the song. Tea and coffee is being served upstairs. We'll see you on Tuesday night when we'll expand this subject a bit more. God bless and keep you. Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, I lift my eyes, I lift my eyes to you. When the waters rise, I lift my eyes, I lift my eyes to you. While there's hope in this heart, I will praise you, Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness of the The 